Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Disc Coverers, the only podcast online that reads, reviews, and ranks all 41 of Terry Pratchett's exciting and enchanting comic fantasy novel series, Discworld. I like how you only started saying that after the books got good. Well, I mean, you know, this might be somebody's first episode, uh, and they're probably like a Discworld fan. They're like, yeah, I want somebody to validate my opinion. Reader, if this is your first episode and you're excited to hear some positive things about Reaper Man, uh, we'll at least partially validate your opinion. Yeah. Uh, my name is Iris J. My pronouns are she, Z, or they. Uh, with me are my co-hosts. Why don't y'all introduce yourselves? Uh, starting with Grace this time? I think oh, we did Grace enough. last last time. Let's do Grace first this time. Yeah, I'm, I'm at the bottom of our list because two of you are B's and one of you is an I, and I'm well, I am the Internet's beloved Princess Grace. Uh, she, her, fay fair if you're spicy. And I'm jazzed as hell to talk about this book. Yeah. And Belina? I am still Belina. I am she slash they. I am just glad to be here as always. This would have been the episode... The, to be fair, this is probably a good start for someone's first episode because this was, up until fairly recently, usually my unequivocal book you should be starting with. So if the if you are new here, hi, congrats. Good taste. Welcome. And June. I'm June. Thank you for telling me that I'm June. I'm June. Uh, she, her, and I have finally, for the first time in the history of the podcast, took notes. Oh. oh. Yeah. You could have fooled me because your views are always so in-depth and incisive on each book we read. I'm very good at winging it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, good news readers, today we are in for a treat because we are discussing, uh, I believe it was 19, yes, 1991's uh, novel in the series. I think it's the the 11th in the series, uh, Repo Man the second novel to be centered around the foibles of death, the uh, avatar of death incarnate in the Discworld. Our, our favorite and skeleton. Our favorite big, scary skeleton man. Um, he's, he's definitely at least like one of my favorite skeletons in fiction. Mm-hmm. Can't, I'm trying to think of other skeletons I like more. Definitely, if not at the top of the list, then easily in the top five. If you have skeletons um, you think are better than Reaper Man, listen to this episode and then uh, listen to Better Than Death. Listen to this episode and then read the book and then send us your skeleton nominations for skeletons yeah. that are better than death. Yeah, and if you really have takes, start your own podcast where you rank skeletons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear that. Maybe call it like boning up or something. Oh, yeah. That'd be Rib good. cage match. Ooh, that's good. And it's oh, kind of like a good. bracket where all the, the hosts come in, they have to defend their favorite skeleton against the other one. We're really beating around the bush here because this book was really fucking good. Yeah. I thought the jokes were pretty humorous. Oh, ha ha ha. Really tickled your funny bone. Yeah. I'm here trying to lead us into talking about the books and the book, and y'all are still making bone jokes. Mm. Uh,. Uh, real knee slapper. Okay. Listen, this is a really this is a really great example of clavicle literature. Um, <laughs> I, I I conscientiously protest from this. Uh, it's okay, Iris. I like your bone jokes. Thank your, you. Your Grace. bona fide jokes, if you will. Wow. 
Anyways, I'll have to come Belina, up with some more and send it to you tomorrow. Belina, hey. what did you think of the book? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. You know what? Let me just go ahead and use this as a lead-in to go ahead and get the oh, summary perfect. out of the way. Yeah, yes, yeah. our Synoptrix Belina, once again, uh, enthralling us Fre- with free- delightful summary. Freed from our trials and tibulations. No. Just <laughs> get it. Hell yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Anyways. The auditors of reality have decided that the death of this Discworld has committed the crime of developing personality. He has fired for this. He decides to spend the suddenly finite rest of his life working as a farmhand for a dinky little farm out in the middle of nowhere under Miss Flitworth. Calling himself Bildor, he gives himself he gives being human another go and does better at it than last time. Meanwhile, without death around, life has nowhere to go and it starts to slosh around. This leads to things randomly giving being alive a shot. Wendell Poons, oldest wizard currently living in the Unseen University, fails to die when he's supposed to, returns to his body for lack of any better ideas. After several attempts to off himself, just in case there was a mistake, he's led to meet up with fellow undead at the Fresh Start Club, and collectively they discover that some kind of creatures are hatching from the snow globes that had spontaneously shown up around the city as part of this whole life excess thing. What they had first thought were city eggs rapidly turn out to be something far worse. It's a shopping mall. Malls prey on cities. Ah. The Unseen University factors heavily into this book, but as before, their job is to get every possible warning and then not do anything about it until it's basically too late. Replacement deaths have been popping up, and the replacement for the death of humans comes to collect on Bildor's life. Thankfully, the new death is dramatic to such a point that it makes predictable mistakes and is summarily dispatched with the magic of sincerity. Death takes this as a sign that he's going to have to do something about this, picks up all the little deaths that had cropped up, and complains to management, a.k.a. Azrael, a.k.a. the Big Death, a.k.a. the one who has a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand, and a knee on hand. <laughs> he pleads his case and reassumes his previous duties, though not until after he's borrowed a little bit of vacation time to go back and show Miss Flit- Flitworth the time of her life as thanks and out of compassion. Life and death returns more or less to normal, but maybe a little kinder or at least a little bit more understanding. Oh, and the death of Rast and the death of Fleas managed to escape the rejoining and are the best. Cherish them. Yes. Mm. yes. Excellent work. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Great job. Hell yeah. I actually disagree with part of that summary, but I will get to it later because it's a thematic thing about what like something means in the book. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that later though because it's way I'm... late in the book. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, again, I try. I tried to be just. I tried to cover things, but not. Oh, you do absolutely. I, 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 I just simplify mm-hmm. it too much. Anyways, you are correct that the death of rats and the death of fleas are the best. Oh yeah, I, I can't will... argue with that not be able to shut up about them in every book that they feature in. Uh, oh, good, they come back. Honestly, yes. I gotta say, I just overall really fucking loved this book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it made me cry I, a lot. This was it, the it, first book that I actually read of the series, you know, way back when in high school, you know, like 2002, 2003, thereabouts. And... It, so this one really felt kind of nostalgic for me. It's also the one that I've read the most times overall. And I I, I said this outside the podcast that I'm a little bit worried I'm going to have trouble actually judging this one objectively beyond some of the obvious shitty stuff that came up. Because, yeah. It is I, racist in parts. Yeah, it... Naturally. It, it's got some problems, but I... A lot of the previous books, the problems were kind of, like, core to the experience. Yeah. Like, you can't really take the racism out of Pyramids. It's core yeah. to what Pyramids are. Here it's just like, mm-hmm. hey, Pratchett, maybe don't make those jokes so often. And aside yeah, like, from that, it's really good. Yeah, you could take a penknife and cut out the weird Native American stuff and the, the oh, joke God. about bonsai. And then yeah. it would be yeah. fine. Oh, and... Don't forget the joke about bimbo dancing. I sure couldn't. 
I don't even know what bimbo <laughs> dancing is. I mean, I have some idea, but that's an idea shaped by a lot of erotic yeah. fiction. Yeah, like and I have very little racism. Yeah, like I have pornography ideas, but I don't think that's what he was going for. Yeah, no. I I just it's I really, really loved a lot of what they did with this book. I think I think the biggest thing is that going into this, I kind of expected it to be half of a good book and half of a bad book. Uh, yeah. Like half, this is a fun death story, and half, this is not a fun Pratchett story. But I actually mm-hmm. really liked yeah. the B-plot. We should talk, though, about the fact that yeah. this is kind of two books. Yes. Like, yeah. it yeah. is really split down the middle and barely do the twain meet, honestly, except yeah. until the end. Yeah, like, every time we saw, like, I remember, I felt like, because really there was kind of three threads going on through the bulk of the book. We see, you know, Mr. Bill Dorr, we get Wendell, and we get the Wizards. Yeah, we get the Unseen University folks, and, like, I liked Wendell, who, by the way, Wendell Poon's trans, and I oh, liked Seth, yeah. and the Wizards bumbling around, they got some good jokes, but, like, I mostly found them kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. They didn't have one yeah. of my best jokes in the book, which was um, telling the librarian he didn't know anything about guerrilla combat. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, they. I again, I'm going to keep putting that. It's going to keep showing up in the summary, but it it just as much as I love the NC University, their job is to just do their absolute damnedest to be as far away from the plot as they possibly can be. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. they're all rinse wins. I get it. That's. Not too far off, but like they're <laughs> look. I I love a lot of the nonsense, but mostly it is just nonsense. Yeah, you could. You're right. Like the entire shopping mall arc of thing, like all of that was not important to what was going on. Which is weird because so, like the Bill Door side of things had a bunch of weird little parallel lines, like the the whole industrialization thing that was going on in yeah, the later mm-hmm. later half of it which was itself mirroring the replacing death himself with a more modern concept yeah mm-hmm. I, I i actually i actually kind of disagree i really feel like i mean this is going to be a thing that i'm going to harp on in weird ways but i feel like the windowpoon section actually did have a lot of thematic coherency with the rest of the book in some unexpected ways but also mm-hmm. i feel like that wasn't most of it most of it was just there's kind of the interesting core to that section, and then there's the large numbers of dumb jokes about wizards that are yeah. just kind of there. They're funny, but they're there. And also, like, I feel like the two, well, three, but like the the Ankh-Morpork pork stuff and the countryside stuff are both at different volumes as mm-hmm. well, and that's why, like, like. The half that's in Ankh-Morpork Pork is very much kind of like it's it's a direct sequel to Moving Pictures, and it's very much kind of thematically in the same like it feels like it was written from the same brain squirt as Moving Pictures had. Like it's it's a similar ratio of jokes. It's a similar kind of idea of sort of a resonant eldritch entity residing in something very prosaic. Uh, whereas the stuff with death in the countryside feels so small, like so empty and quiet and small scale compared to the Ankh-Morpork pork stuff. And I say this as a compliment. It really reminded me of like, yeah. like the literary equivalent of like an Andrew Wyeth painting, like just really like, like 
atmospheric and moody, um, which I think makes while while I liked the shopping mall arc a lot more than I expected, I feel like the arc with Death in the Countryside with Bill Dor feels so much more resonant because it has space to stretch out. Yeah, it's absolutely like one hundred. I I realized that I realized when reading it that the reason I thought that this was kind of two books and like or the the reason I thought that this was going to be a good book and a bad book wasn't actually because of that, but rather because it was, in my opinion, a pretty good book and a fucking incredible book. The death yeah, parts are yes. just so good and outclass the other parts by so much. Yeah, exactly. Like when you when you go to the, the mall stuff, it's like, well, yeah, when are we gonna get back to the scythe factory? It's Yeah. You know, this if if the yeah, you know, if the other half of the book had been split off to its own book called, you know, Wire for, I could come up with a better title later, but you know, chopping mall. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, bargains and values. <laughs> Welcome to the circus of values or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, it probably would have been middling on its own, but it's yeah. yeah you get it. I I think it would have been better than middling. I liked it more yeah. than moving pictures. Well, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's fair. I mean, the death. This is, I mean, any of the best death stuff is always just human condition type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the first really, really good example about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to really talk about some of the themes here because they just, I don't know, it, it words, yeah. it's, fuck, I, I, I don't even know what how I want to describe this. It's. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just getting tongue-tied. Oh, you're this fine. book made me cry, but I don't think I could quite put the words to why. Oh, I, I feel can. like, I feel like it's if I can make a game stab at it. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the first time, like we've had characters who have been sad in Discworld books before, but this is the first time that like we actually focus on that. Like, the last time we had a death story, it was pretty much more about, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if death was just another job and all this other shit? But this is, like... This feels like a pensive meditation on the nature of death and what it really means to people as opposed to the one meeting it out. Uh... And it has, you know, because of that major focus on human perspective, it has to give a little bit more respect for its characters. It can't just be wacky fart joke time all the time. Yeah. And that's why I feel like characters like Miss Flitworth feel a little bit more real and a little less like, haha, it's just a comedy wacky joke book. Like, yeah. Like, and even I- so, and also even on the Ank Morpork side with Wendell Poons, like his undead resurrection really is also a chance for him to kind of take stock of his entire life and his attitude towards the world and stuff, which is why, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, Wendell trans. I, hmm. I have really come around to that perspective. Like, I really well, get the first that. Thing he said is, I think I'd like to come back as a woman. Like, yeah. And it's great too, because like when, after he comes back, like he, he doesn't do any of the standing on tradition shit that other wizards do. He finds himself being a lot more patient with other people and valuing other people's input and friendship more. Um, 
it's really interesting, especially after seeing him as like a two-dimensional, really one-dimensional joke character in the last book. Yeah, he, uh, he was an old, a horny old man they named Wendell Poons. Yeah, and in this book, he's like a well-realized person who is trying to continue his unlife to the best of his abilities, which is really interesting. I don't know. Mm. It feels like it feels like because it's about death, Terry couldn't make it one hundred percent madcap, and mm. because of that, the writing is actually much stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I would say even more than that, like, kind of, I feel like the stuff in here is stuff that Pratchett actually cares about. Like, Mm -hmm. Moving Pictures was about how films are bad and evil and corrupting the world. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's kind of what it does here with the whole shopping malls are actually a horrifying thing. But there's also this real sense of, like, well, for one, it's not the dungeon dimension. Fuck That's the dungeon great. dimension. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, now, that, thank God. now that we have the auditors around, we actually have a good extra-dimensional threat. Yeah, yeah they, they well, even The say... auditors just want everything to be boring. They want everything to make sense. They don't want any of this stupid feely nonsense. Hmm. And, you know, they obviously completely fucking botch the hell out of it because yeah. the moment a regular death comes up, it's just this utter drama queen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of remarked earlier that the melodramatic death is put out is just defeated by sincerity that's kind of what happens over the course of this book that's kind of what the arc of Discworld sort of feels like when we when we compare this to any of the ones that we've read before it just has more time to be sincere to actually say things without having the i mean okay yeah it needs to take breaks to go do silly stuff but likewise i don't think we could have just excised the bill door stuff without anything coming in because it needed stuff to break it up oh for sure yeah like you yeah like you know that scene at the end with you know death's talking to Wendell before he dies for the last time and you know you're you you're all you got but we're all in this together and stuff and you know that's followed up with a joke about death's not running a franchise or whatever but you know it, it works it's very intimate it's very you know yeah, death is all about gallows humor, as you might expect. But you know, it's it's the sort of thing that always hits the, you know, it always yeah. cuts to the truth, right? Speaking of that particular point, like you'll notice in Mort, uh, the line that Death would con- would say as like his kind of thesis for how he approached the job was, "There is no justice in this universe. There's just me." But at the end of this book, it changes to, "There is no justice. There's just us." Which, besides being a better pun, Mm -hmm. is also more indicative that Death has kind of shifted his perspective into including himself as part of the world around him instead of setting Mm -hmm. himself over it. And Mm -hmm. that, I feel like, is like, you can't really pull that off with, like, wacky bullshit. Mm -hmm. That definitely feels like something that Terry, for sure believed in when he wrote this if you if you compare this book to mort in a lot of ways the death in mort is very like yeah there's the whole death is becoming a human it's essentially the same idea but in mort it's mostly used for kind of this comedic oh the all-powerful avatar of a death is sitting in your place getting drunk haha isn't that funny uh and it's kind of funny it sort of works here it's like death is 
struggling with human concepts like dreaming and the idea of time and what this means and grappling with why do anything when eventually you will run out of time but at the same time how do you not just spend every single moment doing things and mm-hmm. it's very very good there was mm-hmm. oh, there was a moment early on with the uh I'm trying to f- i'm try- i want to find it the uh when he uh, first uh, starts, like, uh, when he first starts uh, realizing, like, what's going on, and that he can, that he, uh, when he sleeps, he dreams. And Mm -hmm. also realize that when he sleeps, time passes, and he's just Mm -hmm. so horrified of this concept. And there's a thing that just says, like, sleep. He could feel her prowling around, sleep with a pocket full of dreams. He lay in the darkness and fought back. And it's just like, that's genuinely really good. Yeah. Ugh. That hits. <gasps> what if I gave him? a skeleton existential anxiety? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, goddamn! You messed it up. Look at him. Ah. <laughs> uh. He's all fucked up now. He doesn't like sleeping anymore. Come on. <laughs> he's never had to do it anymore. Now he's afraid of it. On the plus side, he did fall in love, so that's nice. That was cute. I feel like it's really great. Not just watching, like, Bildor kind of, like, try to figure out how to be a person and how to include himself as an us instead of just as a me over the course of the book. But also, like, learning to, like, like, the whole thesis of his argument at the end is, like, we have to give a shit about the people whose existences we essentially are the wardens of. Because otherwise, like... What's the point? We we cannot just pretend like this is all just cogs in some big machine because I've been to the middle of the machine and it is so much more important to see it from that perspective than to just look at it from the outside. And also just this idea of like, what point do we have in existing? What point is there to death if not something to fight back against it something to dream of something else what what without that then death is just nothing it's meaningless Mm -hmm. it's just there's nothing there without something to live for what's the point of living Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's fascinating the places this book manages to go which Incidentally, this was my main uh, disagreement with Galena's summary. I actually, in the book, one thing that I noticed was that before he goes to Azrael, he's won. Like, he gets yeah. all of the other deaths. He defeated the other death. There really isn't a reason that he needs to feel like he's being replaced anymore. Like, he yeah, has I his mean, timer. The, I, would, I would argue that he just, he's going up there because the auditors are like, we're going to keep fighting this this is just going to keep happening again yeah see i would disagree so with i kind of feel like he ha- he had to go back up to Azrael at least once to say yo uh this is fucked up uh, see and he does plead a case for you know why he needs to have why he needs to be allowed to be himself mm-hmm. because you know Azrael is the one who rubber stamped yeah go ahead and try to kill him let's see what happens and one could argue that Azrael knew exactly that what this that this was going to happen because they imply that he's seen this sort of thing happen before and he's going to see it happening plenty more times. Yeah, because the the otters try to charge him with you know, mortified, living with intent to survive. Yeah, like 
they're they're going to they're going to keep at it and i think he's he's doing this not because he has to do it to stop to re to reassert his duties but because he has to make a show of he, he has to show that a he's learned a lesson b he still has to go through at least some proper channels so i guess. i that is what i thought when i read the book but reading it a second time now i really don't my personal thing i don't think that's really the thing because the thing he argues for in it is uh more time and even just more time will you grant me just a little more time for the proper balance of things to return what was given um and this comes immediately after the section where the only thing he does is go into mrs flitworth's house and just look at her stuff and find the music box and find these things and the read I had on it was just that this is kind of a moment of him going, I've won. I've defeated the auditors. I've defeated uh, the machine, both the new horrifying machine of death and also the death that would be king. I've re-gotten all of the deaths into me. I, I've gone back to how things were. Bill Dorr is gone. I'm death again. Everything is back to normal. But this is a moment of just saying like, but that's not good enough, actually. It's, yeah, we need a little justice. bit more than that. The, the, yeah. it, you can't just go back to normal. I don't think he's arguing to try and defeat the otters. He's just arguing to say, Mrs. Flitworth deserves this, and I want to give it to her. And I think that there is a place in the universe for that justice, no matter what. Which is a lot. That's fair. Which is really meaningful to me personally, just because, like, as a this is him finally winning it's this great like fuck yeah moment like he did it but as a moment of just like he had no reason to do this but he does it anyways because he he cares on some level that that hit me in a way yeah like the justice here is giving mrs flitworth flitworth her time back yeah Mm -hmm. and that's all he does in the rest of the book like that's it it's a it's a it's a good moment and i i like that the dramatic conclusion of the book the biggest moment of the book certainly the biggest print of the book um is for kind of a very minor unimportant thing of just helping one lady yeah that that was that was my take i i otherwise your story was fucking amazing and really good (laughs) that's a good take oh yeah but it's really sweet and like Renata is such a great, like, she's such a really interesting character over the course of the book because, like, Mm -hmm. it's, okay, it's wild because, like, we have another example of kooky old lady in this book, Miss Cake, who is Mm -hmm. an okay character. I didn't find her especially funny. This might be one of those, like, archetypes that British people are like, oh, yeah, I know somebody like that. But like I was just like okay. I, I, I mean, I have... she's the British equivalent of a church lady. So. I guess. Yeah. Like but I, like... I, I'm I'm more familiar with like you know someone's mom who gets really into like all the school activities and nobody really likes her, but they can't get rid of her because she runs the bake sale yeah. and helps out of the yeah, office and everything. That, that's exactly who Mrs. Cake is. Yeah. Ah. Well, we have but... her, but like also like, on the other hand, like Renata is somebody who like she keeps to herself. She has kind of a lot of tragedy. Uh, in her life that she's, you know, pretty much moved past and she has like her farm and everything. And it's like, it's so, 
We haven't gotten a Discworld character yet who hasn't just immediately given up everything that they are to us yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who hasn't been pretty much like an open book from Go. And it's really refreshing to feel that. Like, it's like discovering that Terry has a has like a tool in his toolkit that we didn't even know that he had for writing. Mm-hmm. It's great. I fucking loved the reveal halfway through that her family's all smugglers. Yeah. And and then yeah. the and then the follow-up of that where it's like death is basically just like talking about what it is. It's just like, oh the revenue. Oh the tax guys. Oh fuck yeah. them. Hell yeah, I'll support you yeah. in anything you need. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, we all thought you were with we all thought you were a tax man. No, not taxes. <laughs> the other thing. The and, other and, one. There's a lot of uh. There's a lot of really good, like, I'm a sucker for this death shtick, like, you know, well, you know, you're new here, but can you use the scythe? Yes. Like, it's good. Like, you see it coming, but it's good. Ah. And then, and then the way they take those same jokes, those same, like, haha, using a scythe and such, and turn it into something just, like, really fucking that hits hard like with the whole mm. he's going to cut the entire field one fucking stalk at a time just because yeah that's the only yeah. way he can do it at yeah. first it's like a joke but then like when the combine harvester comes into play it becomes kind of a john henry analog where it's like yeah. okay maybe like it's got to be him proving that his way is the best way compared to this newfangled fancy machine that doesn't give a shit about how many uh, stalks it's cutting at once. Yeah. What? I mean, it, that, that, the weird thing is, is that one kind of acts like... You know, if it wasn't for the fact that it was itself a parallel to replacing death in the first place, it really would have just felt like an old man yells at clouds sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. But, again, because it was sort of emblematic of the rest of the story, mm-hmm. it worked. It's... Hmm. If if this wasn't a if this wasn't a metaphor for does the universe care about us or not, then this this would have been real annoying. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this, it's right there next to like shopping malls bad. Like, you no, know, I hate mall malls. Bad. Shopping malls I hate, are bad though. I, I, shopping I, malls. I, I, I hate malls too, Terry. Like, I get that you made your bad guy gentrification, but like, yeah. I will say, I will say for the record, uh. Flesh Mall was cool as fuck. Yeah, yeah it was so like, much was better than I remembered. Awesome. Oh. Also, it's horny, right? That the wizards get TF'd into dolls and clowns and shit. I could yeah, see it's, it it's as just horny. Up a hip, it's just a straight up hypno kink. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like it's part of that like kink where like a person is also a place. Like mm. Gladys fuckers know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost a shame that all that it really took to to um, basically completely incapacitate the mall was just ripping out the PA system. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at at the same time, yeah, he would have he would have needed several decades of internet porn to really write something that I would have found satisfying. Yeah. So, so yeah. is it Vor to go into the Paul Blart flesh mall? Well, they got him oh, out, so no. I mean, that's what it's trying that's to do. Four. It's trying to it's trying to eat the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's going to do that by eating the people inside. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, because, like, on the one hand, I, I don't know if the whole thing is just, like, it's going to eat everyone inside of it. Maybe. I mean, that, well, like, it's, it's not like its primary purpose. I mean, its real purpose is to deprive the city of its own lifeblood. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a parasite. It, yeah, it 
it might not even fully comprehend that people exist. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just knows that if it does these things, then the city it's preying on is going to slowly die, and it's going to get whatever the fuck it was supposed to get out of this. Yeah. It, incidentally, that's another thing I fucking loved was the way it talked about that. Because, like, a lot of the stuff earlier with, like, the dungeon dimension has always been, like, you opened a portal to the evil realm or whatever. But here, like, Windelpoons kept talking about it and being like, this isn't real. This is just a metaphor. That's not how these things work. It's just that everything is so fucked right now by death leaving that, like, metaphors are becoming real. That this is now a real thing. That the metaphorical death of a city can be the very real death of a city. Well, slow down there, Buckaroo, because they do mention uh, that this has happened at least once before. Um, Quoting from the text, he sighed and turned the page. His eyes widened. The city of Khan Lee, he said. Ever heard of it? What's this book? Strip Fettles, Believe It or Not, Grimoire. Says here... Little carts, none knew from where they came. Of such great use, men were employed to herd them and bring them into the city. Of a sudden, like unto a rush of creatures, men followed them and behold, there was a new city outside the walls, a city as of merchants' booths wherein the carts ran. Um, it's, I'm really curious about this because like, it really sounds like there's like a Connolly shopping center or a Connolly mall or something that he's making reference to. Yeah. But none of us really know our British history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, I'm really wondering what sort of how the stars aligned for this previous yeah. iteration of this idea. Mm-hmm. Because this doesn't seem like something that happens every day. It's like an idea slipped in from like outside the universe to make it happen. Yeah, I just I just greatly prefer it to like the moving pictures approach because it feels it feels scarier, honestly, because it's like, oh, yeah. this is a it's not something else infecting the world. It's this is just a thing. And the reason it's gone from vague, horrific ideas to very real, horrific ideas is the weird part. Not that like the the thing itself is like an infection, but rather that like the world right. has aligned correctly to turn something terrifying into something terrifying and real. It's forces forces of capitalism as existential terror, yes. Yeah. It's like how if you keep green onions in the fridge for long enough, they start growing in there. I I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because stuff's supposed to grow in the ground, not in the fridge. Oh, okay. Huh. That's not a great metaphor. <laughs> Anyways, um speaking of the shopping mall arc. I'm referring to them as arcs as if this is an anime because that's yeah. easier than just saying this the half plots. of the book, that half of the book. Yeah, yeah you have the A plot, the B plot. Anyways, uh, the shopping mall tournament arc. Uh, <laughs> what did y'all think of the Fresh Start Club? I was... They were... I appreciate that they start as weird jokes, but then, like, they all get to do something by the end. I, I bet I got a pretty good laugh out of the, the Nosferatos or what... <laughs> Not far off toes. That was the joke. All right, I guess like it's a on a Nosferatu, but like um, the guy whose wife is real, the guy's a vampire, but his wife is really into the vampire thing. She's a vampire by marriage, and he gets like, yeah, I've married her for thirty years. I, you expect me to start biting my wife? And uh, I just, gotta keep it, gotta keep a relationship fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Vampire Karen was certainly a character. Yeah. 
it's something that I feel like Pratchett does a lot, where it's just like, here's the goofy ragtag bunch of misfits who don't work, but then together they can do something great. Yeah. But and it didn't really work here because they only yeah. show up like once or twice mostly. But it yeah. most it it did work. It, it it was better than it could have been, and I loved the yeah. parts that we got most of the yeah. time. Sometimes like, mm-hmm. Red Shoe kind of feels like a weird parody. Like it feels like it's making fun of a specific type of guy, even though like he's in the right. Like you know, his friends are all annoyed by his activism. <laughs> no um, comment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I that's at least realistic. Um, also, our, our boogeyman does come out of the closet at the end. Good for him. My no comment for the record is about future books. I will say nothing Red about Red Shoe. He comes Red back. Sh- Red huh. Shoe starts as a parody of overzealous like activists yeah and then he over the course of the series uh he keeps being that but like by the time we hit later books he has been retroactively uh retconned to be not a parody but a legitimate true revolutionary (laughs) which is buck fucking wild and I don't know how much time we really want to talk about him on this episode, because almost none. Yeah, he's really just like a joke here. But yeah, uh, yeah, like would... it seems like his his big thing is like painting slogans on walls and yeah. like being weird about you know. The he's joke... actually kind of mad at Wendell when he decides he'd re- he he's ready to die. Yeah, to all of, to, to all of my friends who have read all of Discworld or at least major portions of it, shout out to the section where it talks about him tending his own grave. Shout out to which cemetery exactly that was. Anyways, yeah, that's but, um, my oblique really reference liked, back to the podcast. I really liked Lupine the Wereman. I thought yeah. he was great. I wish I I don't think Lupine comes back in future books, but uh, I would have liked to see more of him and Ludmilla uh, yeah. later yeah, on. I, that was cute. I like that Ludmilla just helps establish right right on the right from the get go that Terry Pratchett thinks all werewolf ladies are just the hottest thing in the in <laughs> yeah, creation. Yeah, absolutely true. Like, I don't yeah. think that Ludmilla herself will show up, but we're very close to meeting another werewolf lady who's got the exact same thing of just being the most attractive woman you've ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. God, she's like she has like she's like eight feet tall and she has pointy teeth. And ears, and it's just really good. Okay, yeah, it's like yeah, really good. Rolls. I like. We're all gay. Part. We're gay. Pra- I mean, Pratchett just goes out of his way saying that. Well, she's actually built really well. She's got an amazing figure. She's got her mate. Her hair looks absolutely glorious, even if it's maybe a little bit too long. And he, he's just beating this up, even from like, even like from the perspective of a cis dude. He's trying to build this, build her up as being just absolutely smoking hot the day after the full moon mm-hmm. my god but no i mean he's not wrong yes but yeah. i just had god. i just had to take a second there because there was no room in the summary for where was yeah. where was the part where like the fucking the the shopping carts like they get in a fight with lupine because lupine is trying to protect the group and like lupine is in wolf mode and the shopping carts like bash him into a wall and like wendell's like okay now if 
if you really, really are going to be daring, you're going to tilt your head and whine after she comes over and says, oh, what a poor little dog. And she says that exact thing, and he does that exact thing, and it's like, yeah. Then he does the thing with raising the paw and whimpering. It's like, oh, you bastards. It's such a great joke of just like, you're playing this up, and I can't blame you. Good job. Yeah. Go for it, my guy. Just uh, go for it. That we have we have not one but two characters in the book who are puppy. That's so good. You love to see it. Yeah. Pu- also, on the Windlepoon side, I just want to say, I actually really liked kind of the progression from eggs to shopping carts to, to horrifying flesh mall. Mostly because, yeah. like, it felt more like a thing they were, a horrifying thing they were slowly figuring out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That the the notion like it was a it was a comprehensive it was a believable life cycle in as much as I can use those words. Yeah, the mm-hmm. idea that for the longest time they thought they were city eggs because you know they contain what looks like little images of the city and then they turn into something that people find useful, but then they run off with all the things that they've gathered and they just kind of mash together and make a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. It's just all just it's really well realized yeah yeah and And it's not just like the immediacy of oh uh there's a lot of magic in hollywood and there's a door it's all all there already it's all all there and also you really feel like they're slowly discovering it like you feel like windlepoons is really like slowly piecing together this mystery and it's like oh when he goes i figured it out there's kind of a moment of oh cool, I can figure this out now. It feels more like an actual progression. Yeah, like, we get this, like, really nicely laid out metaphor, like, well, you know, if a city is alive, and the people are the lifeblood of the city, and this thing wants to act like a parasite, then how would that work? And mm-hmm. then, you know, you would trick people to take these eggs home, and, like, it, it's good, it's, you know, and it was kind of like in Star Trek, when they, you know, explain how their future technology thing worked with, an, with a simple analogy. Like blowing up a balloon and then something bad happens. <laughs> yes. Like putting too much air in a city. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, can I can I just read one more passage about Flesh Mall? Because this was like Please. one of my favorite yeah. parts. Uh, What's that noise? Said Ludmilla. What noise? That noise. Like something sucking something. Arthur looked around with a certain amount of interest. It's not me. It's the stairs, said Wendell. Don't be silly, Mr. Poon. Stairs don't suck. Wendell looked down. These do. They were black like a sloping river. As the dark substance flowed out from under the floor, it humped itself into something resembling steps, which traveled up the slope until they disappeared under the floor again somewhere above. When the steps emerged, they made a slow, rhythmic schlup-schlup noise, like someone investigating a particularly annoying dental cavity. Do you know, said Ludmilla, that's quite possibly the most unpleasant thing I've ever seen. I've seen worse, said Wendell. But it's pretty bad. Shall we go up or down? You want to stand on them? No, but the wizards aren't on this floor, and it's that or slide down the handrail. Have you looked closely at the handrail? They looked at the handrail. I think, said Doreen nervously, that down is more us. God! I, I... The idea of, like, a meat escalator is so gross... And so awesome. I'm like uh, here for this shit. <laughs> it's such a great so, moment. So hey, how's Flesh Hive coming along? It is awesome. 
I am uh, thinking about this shit so much these days. This world. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is like that shit that I'm doing. This is great. Loving this. Uh, based based on the hit based on the hit novel Reaper Man, but only the but not the part you're thinking of. The other but, one. Uh, oh, I mean. <sighs> Have you ever actually gotten to wander around an abandoned shopping mall? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. It fucking rules. Uh. That's called wandering around any mall in 2021. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like five or so years ago, I City Center Mall in Columbus, Ohio used to be a fucking big deal. It was just absolutely enormous for its time. I remember being there in some of, you know, when all the stores were actually filled up. Just the fact that it was a multi-story apartment mall in ohio was just boggling to my tiny mind at the time i took up a job where i was actually within walking distance of it and i actually walked out there and found you know the food courts were open but that was it Mm -hmm. and it's just one of the creepiest places i've ever been at god it this feels super on the nose to even relate but just the fact that at one point i turned around started because i thought that i just walked into somebody and it was just a brass statue that was the most lifelike thing in the entire place oh god i don't know i i spent i spent the entire flesh mall section of this just getting reminded of those particular uncanny weird desolate vibes oh Oh, for sure like it's it's great because those vibes feel even more resident now than they probably did in 1991 when oh Pratt yeah, wrote this, this mm-hmm. book because we yeah malls were still a thing. At yeah, the time. then it was like oh yeah malls this is great this is awesome everybody's like like people could say it was a bad thing but you couldn't say that they weren't popular. Nowadays we're seeing like the dried cicada like husks of malls and it's like oh this this was never going to be tenable this was never meant to last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did kill the cities they were attached to so good job. Good for them. Uh, Yay. Yeah, you got me thinking about I was like, I was a, a child when this happened. I was like 10 or something. I went to just like the North Glen Mall or something. It was, it was in Colorado. And like, the mall was dead enough that like, there were people working at some of the places, mostly the food stands, but like, they didn't turn most of the lights on. The soda machines were all empty. Entire wings were just blocked off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout-outs to the uh, Glen Burnie Mall in Maryland for having a similar situation. Mostly popular because I think there was, like... No, it was a weird mall because the most popular thing in it was a grocery store, I think, that was attached to it. That was yeah, in places the mall. that sell food are usually the last to go. Yeah, 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 but everything else was, like, shuttered. Or uh, there was, like, a Dick's Sporting Goods, and that was it. Very weird. Very weird. Um, Very resonant. I... I worked a lot in malls as a young adult. So like this, the, the concept of mall bad actually is still near and dear to my heart. It still works on me despite it being a very obvious, uh, also, uh, to, to talk about Wendell Poons just a little bit more. I think my favorite running gag of the entire book was people keep saying his eyes like gimlets. Um, and then like more than once somebody would say like, Oh, I know a gimlet who runs the deli down on uh, Treckle Mine Way. Uh, why do you think his eyes look like his? <laughs> that was a good There's, hit. That was. There's even one bit where, um, oh shit, where is it? Uh, yeah. 
Wendell, like, stops a mugging uh, by just, like, picking up a mugger. Uh, I actually... Uh, oh, yes, that's right, like a shot, said Wendell unhappily. Now run along, that's a good chap, okay? Okay, said the prospective mugger. He was thinking, hey, guys, Ike Imbitz. <laughs> Such a stupid joke. I love that. I... On that note, I really loved that, like, Wendelhoon's whole thing is just that, like, I really loved his relationship to himself Yeah. in the book. The way that he's just kind of, like, the difficulty with being a zombie is that you have to keep everything running, and I sure as hell don't know how a fucking spleen works. What the hell? This mm-hmm. sucks. And uh, that uh, at the same time, he could just, like, had just incredible strength solely because, like, the only thing powering me at this point is Will, so, like, who's to say I can't just kick in the door? Yeah, mm. like, you can. It's just that your brain usually stops you from doing this because it's not great for your muscles. Or, like, Wendell realizes that, oh, I can't read that sign, but then he realizes he's just being nearsighted out of habit and he fixes his eyesight, and then <laughs> he's fine. He just squishes his eyeballs into the right shape, and it's fine. <laughs> it's it's this great, it's this great, like, play back and forth between, like, uh, why it's pretty cool being a zombie and why it kind of sucks. There are pros and cons, yeah. for sure. I definitely think that I would want to be able to squoosh my eyeballs into not being nearsighted anymore. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, yeah, it is, like, like again, with the trans metaphor, really strong, like, oh, I yeah. can just, like, take charge of my own body. Yep. And just, just... Tell it to go. Um, mm-hmm. Of Hell course, uh, the, you know, it's not as easy as that in real life, but, you know, yeah. self-actualization does start with taking stock of oneself mm. and thinking about where you are and thinking about where you want to be, you know? Yeah, he dies, he sees the, you know, he comes back, he's got a clearer head, he can look at things more effectively, mm-hmm. you know. Also, on my first page here, I forgot about this, uh, Mrs. Flitworth, death introduced himself, and Mrs. Flitworth kind of, you know, I don't think you're, you were born Bill Dorr, but, quote, oh, a lot of people don't use the, na- the name they're born with around here. You know, whatever. I am bo- I'm not bothered by it. And I think what she was talking about is, you know, I know a lot of smugglers, <laughs> but, like, you know, it can also be trans. It's fine. Not, not maybe the most trans book in the entire Discworld canon, but uh, more than zero on the Geiger counter, for sure. Yeah, it begins. Before we move on back to talking about the part that's going to make me cry, uh, mm-hmm. I just want to say on the, first off, on the, uh, I really, as this book had a lot of wizards being dumb wizards, as they have a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. God... Ridcully brings so much just in terms of character yeah. and making yeah. it funny and not a drag. Having one dude who is diametrically different than most of these people, but also still a shitty old dude, just in a very different way, makes for such better comedy. Yeah, if we had yeah. an if we had an Arch Chancellor character like, say, the Dean trying to move the wizards along, I think it would be a lot less enjoyable. Frankly, the less the Dean did in this book, the better. Yeah. 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 He was yeah. maybe the most annoying part. <laughs> mm-hmm. That and the, the, the racism. The racist parts, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which mostly came from him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that and 
Mrs. Cake's uh, quote spirit guide God, unquote. No. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. This is, God, we're not, we're not, that made, we're not even going to talk about him. That made no sense. And we could just leave it there. But that part, that that whole I'm, joke line made no sense. I'm going to get, unfortunately not leave it there. <laughs> okay. Well, like, oh no. No, this is a problem that I feel like Pratchett has a lot in that he goes, haha, I'm going to subvert this racist stereotype. Won't that be funny and not racist? And it doesn't work if you still do it he just and you he also just, don't understand which, it enough that what you're like, doing is still racist yeah like he still has yeah. them talk like a stereotypical native american yeah the guy's the guy's brother is still named two dogs humping like it's yeah uh, it's not good i gotta i gotta go back and like check to see because this this exact bit was lifted from good omens <laughs> but oh, um he i does need it to again remember- I, need I to mean, it's an if, old joke to begin with. Yeah, I need to figure out if the bit in Good Omens was less racist or more racist than this. Because Good Omens is more racist than anybody in 2021 rightfully remembers. It's way more racist than that. Um, but I need to... I need That's to figure a bad out if, omen. If, yeah. I need to figure out if he decided to lean more into this whole shit or less. Uh, because... I remember it being a little annoying in that book, but this book was like, wow. In maybe because this book was just like, didn't have as much of that shit overall that it was just like, wow. It was like this, here's a delicious bowl of ice cream and here's one big ass roach right near the bottom. And it's like, (laughs) oh man, we almost got through this without having any of this bullshit. It's, it's a, it's a problem that I feel like Pratchett like definitely has. Like, I feel like it is most of Jingo which we'll deal oh, with when yeah, we get there. Here we go, but baby. it's just this problem of him being like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the racist stereotype and then at the end I'm going to subvert it. Like, haha, he's actually just a dude from the city who's pretending so that he can convince people that he should have weird spirit alcohol, I guess? It's confusing? But like... This is all a scheme to get people to kill drinks for him it's confusing and weird but at the same time like you can't just play into racist stereotypes and do weird shit and then at the last second go haha it was a joke that doesn't work Pratchett. that's right baby Especially it was actually like, brown face all along yeah it's it's not it's not good it's really not good no it's if, it's gonna if I can stay take just a second and nitpick exactly the wrong thing he says that he came from hawanda land we've he's We've already used Hawanda Land. It's the fucking Amazon. Why are you doing fucking Native American well, jokes? Hawanda Land. Hawanda Land. I think is supposed to be Africa. Clatch is the Amazon, and also India, and also yeah. Clatch uh, is every single place East? that's not Ankhmore Port oh, that boy. isn't the counterweight continent. It's fucking insane because he just keeps cramming more and more countries into an increasingly small area. But Hawanda Land specifically is where the fucking jungle stuff takes place. Yeah, listeners, it's place where jungle is. Listeners, us going, wow, the gender stuff in this book is really interesting, and I want to explore it more, because I find it fascinating. The race stuff in this book sucks ass! It's yeah. going to be a recurring theme for Pratchett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, this book's 30 years old, yeah. and again, we're, we're applying 2021 standards on it when, you know, we're doing this more out of self-awareness, and because you got to oh, yeah. acknowledge that it's there, even if it doesn't necessarily make, it doesn't make the book bad by any stretch, because otherwise we wouldn't be spending the rest of this book 
the rest of this podcast raving about it. It's you not Eric. You can't we, say it's you not love Eric. a piece of media unless you can shit talk it a little bit. Yeah, we would be derelict in our duties of, of podcasters if we did not tell you about the racist parts. <laughs> That's our job. Yeah. Anyways, yes. <laughs> this is the Discoverers podcast, not the Discover Up podcast. Oh, <laughs> I guess you could say we're disc uncovering. Oh, shit. Does anyone have any other big thoughts about the Wendell Poon side of the story? The Poon saga. <laughs> or, uh, Man, that sounds bad. <laughs> Enter sounds the Wendellverse. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he dies at the end so that we I don't really, ever have to think about this character. I, 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 really enjoy, yeah, I really enjoy the particular tang of his uh, story. His poon tang, if you will. <laughs> oh, God. No. 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 Okay. Go back Anyways, to bone jokes if that's what you're going to do. Back to death. So. Uh, um, well, I really, lo- I really loved a lot of the just very, very silly gags of like death being too good at things and having to learn how to be comedically bad at them mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i can throw a dart and bank it off four things and land it in someone's glass and everyone thinks i'm fucking hilarious no one considers that this is much harder than hitting the bullseye so everyone loves me for this that was a good yeah. bit everyone yeah. loves good old bill door <laughs> to be fair even if they did know that he was doing it intentionally they'd love that too so yeah oh, yeah yeah that's the foundation of comedy. I I guess I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but I kind of liked the the minor joke that the only real thing that anybody in the town ever says about Miss Flitworth is, oh, I hear she's got a whole bunch of treasure at, hidden away in her house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the very end, Death does open up some of those conspicuous chests that he's been glancing at the whole time. And the small ones are full of money, and he's just kind of slightly disappointed in that. <laughs> But they're also just kind of a weird little footnote. Yeah. Yeah, the money doesn't actually matter that much in the yeah, end. Yeah, because it's, you know, it, it's the book trying to say, like, yeah, the world doesn't always feed into neat little narrative arcs, which is weird for a book to say. <laughs> that does have a couple of neat little narrative arcs. Extremely literature voice. It's true, but he shouldn't just say it yeah, like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Life, just because you hang a Chekhov's gun on the wall doesn't mean you have to fire it. I say, I handing my handing my sight to this guy and telling him to kill it. <laughs> oh, I did uh, love that part though. Yeah, I love that he. I, I love that he didn't kill it, and then by not killing it, he ended up killing a rat in there, and we got a little scene with the death of rats leading what that rat character. into the afterlife. I uh, the the death of rats really didn't have much to do with the story, but I did. I I love I love him so He's much. He's very good. Spoiler: the death of rats is never going to be plot critical. That's the death of rats is a good footnote. The death of rats is a treat to Iris, the rat liker who loves rats. Yeah. Yeah. very good. The death of rats is a treat to all of us. Yeah, it, uh, just cheering on death the whole time, making friends like. Yeah. The death of rats is important in that, like, you know, it's a way for death to get his whole, I know why the prisoner keeps birds Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, just this, the the moment at the end where he's just, like, actually maybe being lonely forever, even when it's, like, your destiny in every way. Maybe, maybe I can bend the rules just a little bit to keep some meaning here. 
mm-hmm. and it's really great and it means a lot but also it's just really really funny especially like that the scene with him absorbing all of the other deaths you get like the picture of the death of rats hanging onto a beam desperately yeah <laughs> And it's just very funny that for some reason no other death did this. That, like, all of the other deaths <laughs> went, but just the little rat guy, like, no. Well, that's... Yeah, and, and, and the implication that the death of fleas was doing the same thing on the death of rats. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Well, that's the thing. Rats are tenacious. Yeah. They don't die easy. Plus, um... you know, rat death had a bit of a forewarning. Like, they would have seen, de- they would have seen death about to do this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Most insider knowledge. Yeah. Um, that was great. I also love that um, if we're talking about s- scythe talk, baby, it's scythe talk time. Welcome to uh, scythe chat, our, our, our segment about scythes. I know that this isn't the last time they do this, but I do love that they demonstrate how sharp that death likes his scythes sharpened to by actually like... Having him cut the air and then slicing some of the sentences up. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's some of that, like, House of Leaves shit that I like. That's some, like, that's, that's just a great visual thing. Yeah. That Terry didn't have to do that, but he did. And that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I never met a text I didn't like. Again, like this, this kind of ends up being weird nostalgia for me because, like, when I first read this book, again, reminder, I got started on the game through the mud first, mm-hmm. and then I actually went into the books. When I was reading that bit in the book, I went, "Wait a second! I've seen a tiny little farmhouse in the game. I've got this weird feeling that I've just been given an instruction manual." Ooh. And sure enough, in game, you can go do those exact same steps, save for one little detour to get the piece of silk. Doesn't matter. But you can go forge a scythe, you can start sharpening it with increasingly sharp things, and then finally you go out during the morning and you just sharpen scythe on sunlight, and now you have this ridiculously cool weapon you can oh, carry Oh, that rules. Fuck, oh, yeah! That whips. And, like, I, I, the, the quest structure in the game is very much does this sort of thing. Like, if there's something in the books that can be replicated, chances are you're going to be rewarded for replicating it. Usually not to the point of them giving you a cool fucking scythe, though. Mm-hmm. I I really I really love the entire section with that. I think part of the reason I'm so not as down on the uh, the Windlepoon sections is even though they definitely aren't as good, you get such little doses of death, and they're all so condensed. Every mm-hmm. single thing he says is just like this is an incredible line. Just like yeah. oh, that's this every line death says is killer. And I feel hey. like if we had more of it, like, it just wouldn't hit as hard. You mm-hmm. would have to have more filler, and it just wouldn't be as good. But as it is, yeah. every single time he talks, it's like, oh, fuck. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's always, like, a good joke or, like, a good line or part of, like, a really, you know, a really good conversation. Even, like, the one where, yeah, people keep playing games with death, and he's like, yeah, I even won a exclusive possession. I had both utilities and... <laughs> Yeah, house on Park Place. Which is a little bit of a stretch for a Monopoly joke, but I love calling it exclusion possession. Yeah. Because that's literally what a Monopoly is. Yeah, like, it's a better fucking joke than in sewer ants. <laughs> it's a pretty good joke. I thought it was very yeah. funny. I, uh, speaking of that, I, what did y'all think of the new deaths? 
There's a term called, uh, if I'm getting this right, I might pronounce it wrong. Uh, Chuni Bayo. Yeah. Which <laughs> <laughs> fucking Chuni Death. Is about like a middle schooler who thinks that they are the coolest person of all time. Yeah, yeah, clutching a finger over my blood eye that all my power channels through. Uh, uh, Chuni Tunes Death over here. It was really great having Death going. What the fuck is this idiot doing? Yeah. This just like, yeah. oh, no, okay, hold on. How much time do we have left? Oh, a few minutes? Wait, it's like 11.45. Okay, we have exactly 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's, also, it's also very funny that, like, the auditors were like, oh, we think that old death is too shitty and human. We cannot have too much of a personality. Job. They bring a new death in, and new death is like, has a personality from day one. Yeah, it's and just it's a worse one. He's a one. prick. I mean, I'd say even more than he's a prick, he's uncaring. He is yeah. completely obsessed with himself. That he sees, like, oh, that's kind of the thing. He has a crown. He he see yeah. like the whole point is that this version of death, this vision of death, is one where, as opposed to death being something that is sad and comforting and horrifying but at the same time something that like will come for us all and that's just something we have to grapple with it's this thing of death as ruling us all in the end you cannot escape death why try yeah our our death is a a professional Uh, what can the harvest hope for if not for the care of the reaper man (laughs) yeah like And, and this death is just one of like there why wouldn't you care I win in the end, thus I should be able to do basically anything I want. Mm -hmm. I'm all that matters. And it's really, I really kind of loved that alternate vision of death as something genuinely rather horrifying. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, since the notion of it being something that was sort of cobbled together from the current unconscious of the disc world, uh, and just being sort of half, not really super well formed yet, Mm -hmm. like, maybe it would have chilled out a little bit given time, but there wasn't any reason to let it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And then, the and then co- like, it's, it's pair. I was about to say the combine harvester yeah. too. Yeah. Which is just like, there's nothing, not even like a feeling of death being a king, just death is endlessly taking everyone. No feelings, yeah. no meaning, complete. A mechanical construct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're both really good and fucked up and horrifying visions of yeah. death. Yeah. Are malevolent gods better than none? I I loved those two bits. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Also, I like that like death eventually defeated the combine harvester by just like fucking it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just you know he just like throw the mechanism out of whack a little bit. Like oh the the whatever rod jammed up through the this and the that and it, you don't got to play an ace when a two will do. He was absolutely describing. Okay, he was absolutely showing that he was paying attention to the absolute nonsense that Ned Simnel was saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. And at Here, the same time, go- also getting his revenge on Ned for not destroying the site. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and killing this machine that, frankly, he never liked all that much in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Him stealing the tarp from it in the first the first time around was just very good, especially with Miss Flitworth goes, Huh, you're back fast. Yeah, I sure am, huh? <laughs> and then later on, she goes, Oh, wait a second. Okay, I know exactly what you did, and, you know, fuck that guy, but, you know, we probably have more pressing matters. Yeah. 
Uh, death can be a little petty as yeah. a treat. Uh, yeah, like, you know, here, give him this, this 3 8 Gripply. That was It's great. a cotter pin. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we already talked about the Azrael scene, but... Fuck, Love that big text. Scene. Big yeah. text word, man. Oh, so large hard. large letter. I see the big letters and I'm like, this is good writing. See, I, Bigger I letters with better totally. writing. I didn't know about that until I read Elspeth afterwards. I'm reading a fucking ebook. It didn't have that. Oh, no. Oh, oh yeah. In the printed book, the, the text takes up an entire page. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's specifically um, written so that, uh, at least in some printings, some printings fucked it up, but in some printings, such as the American paperback, which I own, uh, it is written so that you turn the page and then you see a whole page that just yeah. says yes. Yeah. Which yeah, is it, like... That's a that's a comics trick where it's like if you want to keep people on a cliffhanger, you always put, uh, you put stuff like on the right side of uh, page spreads so that when people turn the page, it's like a little reveal, like they're opening a present, and that happened with the paperback copy here, and I'm so pleased about that. Yeah, the uh, the L space annotation has Pratchett saying, you know, such and such edition messed it up. I wrote four hundred extra words to make to get on a left hand page in the hardcover. Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, between that and the little handwritten a present from Ank Morpork things, this yeah. book had the most visual elements of any Discworld book we read so far. Yeah, it's, yeah, it I was plays like, a lot with the medium. It's very, it's enjoyable. I appreciate that was nice. it. Nice. On that note, actually, I I found the book really interestingly structured. Reading it, I kept thinking this feels like a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. way that it's structured, where like it does a little bit of death, and then it jumps to a different story, back to the other side, and like it's cutting to like random bits at times, and it mm-hmm. feels like it has a real plot progression. This felt very influenced by like I kept thinking like, what if this was a movie or a TV show or something? Yeah. In a way that I, mean, I haven't. Pratchett has always, yeah, Pratchett has always tried to do. Yeah, we that. said like, that about he the light fantastic. Talked about the camera in pre, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He outright talks about the camera sometimes, yeah. but it also just kind of flows that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just flows better in this time. Again, it, everything about this is just the book is firing on on all cylinders yeah. almost the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I genuinely Absolutely. am surprised they haven't tried to adapt this into film yet, especially because they did a Hogfather. Uh, I believe it was a miniseries that went over really well. Um, unfortunately, if they did it now, they wouldn't be wouldn't be able to get Christopher Lee back to play Death because he's dead. But mm-hmm. yeah, ironic. Like, like, can you really think of a better person than Christopher Lee to play yeah. Death? Because I really can't. <laughs> if I had um, a while to think, I could probably come up with someone. But that is a really good casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think they should just go for the guy with the, the lowest Levenstein distance and get Christopher Lloyd. That would be an interesting take. <laughs> I'm not sure how well that would work, to I, be honest. You'd, no, no, but the names are similar. Auto, you'd have to auto-tune him so far that he starts sounding like a Vocaloid. I think maybe Idris Elba could do it, and then he could say that he's played Death and Knuckles, which not many people can say that they have. Ah, <laughs> uh, both you genders. Know, death and Taxes, Death and Knuckles. Death and Knuckles. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I would love to see this as like a, I mean, I, I think of course the book will always be superior, but I think it's considering how filmic Terry's writing is, it is interesting to think about which books would make for good TV and which books wouldn't, Mm -hmm. especially because so few have been adapted. Uh, 
The Watch doesn't count as an adaptation. That's not a real no. adaptation. Nope. Um, <sighs> but yeah, was there anything else we wanted to discuss before we go to the rankings? Yeah. I wanted to uh, talk about, well, for one, uh, the one big thing, the big scene that I feel like I want to talk about is uh, both just before and then after the uh, Azrael scene, you get Death and Mrs. Flitworth at the dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah. beautiful scene. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh my god, that was so oh, sweet. Yeah. That was me. That me. I. That was one of the main moments where I was just like crying the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so yeah. good. We get this whole bit about do you dance? I'm known to. Yeah, and it goes through yeah. all of this stuff, and it's so beautiful and genuinely one of my favorite things. And it ends with the scene at the avalanche, and it's so incredible, and there's these great lines. And then the final moment is a fucking Lone Ranger joke. Yep. I I saw that and was just like, Pratchett, you, I've been crying for like five minutes straight now, reading so far, and your final thing is to go, and who was that masked man as your joke? <laughs> Yep. Jesus oh, That's fucking the... Christ. That That is the perfect place to drop a joke. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was perfect. Yeah. I was just so mad. Yeah, no, same shit. I was crying during Death's conversation with Wendell, and I forget what the joke was. I thought, it, you know, it might have been It's a Wonderful Afterlife. No, it was, a, it was like This that. Was Your Life. Uh, there, both of those were in there, but yeah, something like that. There was some, like, joke in there. I was laughing and crying at the same time. Yeah. Fuck. I, I... Really, I really just loved that scene. The whole mm-hmm. both of them dancing together and just, like, everything that happened. And just, like, also just the whole thing of, like, with Mrs. Flitworth's character and the whole thing of, like, Death being, like, I have gotten all of the most expensive things in the entire universe yeah. that one can get. And her being, like, I don't want any of that. You're going to the dance with me. Obviously. Yeah. I, I could take do. you anywhere. I want to go to the dance. This dance right here. I, they expect me. I can't not go. Mm-hmm. And the uh, fact that he does it, it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Because that's the best thing he could possibly give her in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a... I, I took a note about the scene where Death is, like, trying to get her a really good diamond. And, uh, yeah, none of the ones at the store. Death keeps asking, like, is it friendly? You know, is this a friendly diamond? The guy's like, what are you talking about? No? And then he talks about this giant diamond in some, you know, booby trap temple somewhere and to answer in your next Hawaii question sir, i would personally go to bed with it i, I would yes. fuck this fuck diamond that. rock i mean mood yeah God. this is a diamond the size of an ostrich egg yeah. i don't think there are many things that i wouldn't do to it yeah. it's great because he gets it Crunch. and then the, the priests at that temple are like you know nobody ever comes here anyways maybe yeah. nobody has to find out yeah who would know but us yeah uh, I, I, can it's I your the, turn to be high priest next week. Yeah, can, can I have the big priest hat? I guess. <laughs> of course, and then the very last thing, the first and last section of the books with the Morris dance. Yeah, I had to look that one up. That's, that, I think that probably qualifies for our recurring segment of most British reference in this book. Because yeah. Because we do, we do not have Morris dances in America. <laughs> well, according to this L-Space annotation... There is like maybe a hundred or so Morris dancers in the U.S. and Canada. Wow, really? More- that's basically zero. Yeah, I mean, given Keeping like shit alive. that's basically zero per capita. But like, it's 
not really a thing yeah. over here, correct. The only reason I know about it was because I read this book in like high school and I had to look it up online with what the Morris dance yep. was. And yeah. I was like, this is this is weird. Yeah. Uh if I may read from L Space, uh for the Go readers at home. Uh, these illusions may be lost to the typical American reader. Picture, then, six men in white shirts and trousers decorated with, with ribbons, wearing bells on their legs in a two-by-three formation. The men, not the bells. To a tune played on fiddler squeeze box, they dance up and down, back and forth, gesturing with big white handkerchiefs in their hands, or clashing yard-long sticks with each other. As to, like, ring in spring or something? Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's, like, pagan, like, yeah. neo-pagan thing. Like, I will say, at, at the beginning, it, uh, it's very funny in that way, and it's very, like, this is weird British thing. They yeah. do mention the Ninja Morris men on, like, page one, which was weird. <laughs> I do love the idea of doing a reverse dance for, like, the harvest and fall that represents death. Yeah, yeah, the the idea that you have to do if you do one, you have to do the other because you're exerting some kind of force on the universe. Mm-hmm. It's a good yeah. The bit. the idea that this thing that comes up a lot in the end, which is like you have to have both. You have to have both worlds, right? You know, you could have a a dog man and a man dog, and they sync up once a month. You have to have both. Mm-hmm. It, it should say something that I fucking love this book, even though uh, I am very anti-death in my personal opinions yeah. and yet i still love this book and find it deeply meaningful yeah. that's how much i enjoyed it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean if i knew that there was this particular death waiting for me i probably wouldn't be i probably wouldn't be scared shitless by well, it. well that's the thing right like you're shit you're scared beforehand but afterwards it's usually pretty fine you know you don't have the glands anymore <laughs> good news the worst possible thing has already happened yeah god the, even the shit with like death oh this is why people run this is why you know this is why people are afraid i get it now or like you know he knew that it was only putting off the inevitable but really that's all that life is yeah or yeah. like the the burning building and bill Doors like you know it's inevitable her time is up and everyone's like what the fuck are you talking about you asshole oh like that's a terrible thing to say about that little girl and then Shut he, the he's like fuck up. yeah there's like oh no i all right all right i get it now him deciding to give her some of his life and that that coming yeah. around and being the thing that saves him is such a oh it's such a good moment especially because yeah. it was Flitworth who told him off and everything and yeah, oh, yeah the, the, so good what, yeah like it was the same girl who kept saying like you're a skeleton where does the drink go yeah that was such uh. a realistically written child because yeah. like she's like wow you're a skeleton huh and Death is like, no, I'm not. And she's like, yeah, you are. And Death is like, all right, yes, fine. And she's like, uh, did you know that, uh, I can do this with my hands? Yeah. It's so and good. Later, she's like, where does the drink go? Why doesn't it go through you and onto the ground? Just just the most believable <laughs> child writing yeah. you've, I've ever heard. Yeah. And, yeah, the stuff with she's living on borrowed time. Uh, there's so many good things i really just fucking love this book yeah it's really good yeah uh wow last thing before we go to the rankings i want to shortly say something and also plug something sort of um i'm going to talk more about this in a side episode that i'm going to be doing 
uh, <gasps> with some friends of the podcast, but uh, I want to talk about the themes of the book just really briefly, because uh, my friend presented the idea, my friend uh, who I'm going to be doing the episode with, uh, that the book is basically about uh, austerity and the idea hmm. of like replacing death being this very like cruel, you've done well, we don't care, you're fired. And then what comes in to replace it being a crueler, uncaring version, but also more than that, just capitalism being the mm-hmm. thing that comes in. Because like an when this happens, read. it's mm. a really interesting read that I want to dive more into. And it kind of ties the book together in this way. If you kind of see the sort of like encroaching, much less caring and much more in one case, a uh, fascist death and in another case mm-hmm. uncaring mechanical death uh, mm. as two things that are being coming upon the universe now that there isn't like the old idea of death mm-hmm. and at the same time like the shopping mall as also kind of an example of this in this yeah. way of like you can't just throw out this shit without replacing it with anything or replacing it with fucking bullshit especially because uh let me I need to check something real quick because I'm bad at things. Uh, yeah, so 1991 would have been just at the end of Thatcher's uh, time in office. Yep. Interesting. So, like, it's an interesting thing. And uh, I, I, I want to like talk more about this, but we're near the end of the podcast. But also, uh, two years later, uh, Pratchett would write another book uh, called Johnny and the Dead. Uh, which seems to have very similar themes. Um, hmm. I haven't read that yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a second it's a second book in a specific series of kids books he wrote. I believe they're young adult books. Um, but uh, like uh, about a kid who can see a bunch of ghosts. It starts like talking with it because I believe that I don't actually know the plot, but I believe it's that the cemetery is going to be bulldozed and replaced with like a new uh apartment building or something so uh uh i'm gonna be doing a side episode with some friends of the podcast and uh in a few weeks we're going to read through that as well and then talk about the themes of reaper man and the themes of that oh yeah hell yeah i'll be posting that on our uh our podcast feed so uh stay subscribed and stay tuned for that that'll be really exciting Hey, hey june when you do that can you can you tell bear i said hi don't know what it means um thank you Uh, but, but yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. Uh, you may tune into the podcast and hear us go, "Wow, these books weren't alike at all." But I guess we'll analyze them. Uh, <laughs> that'll be really funny. Ah, uh, uh, great. Anyways, yeah. speaking of books, um, so we have a ranking on this show th- where we are objectively trying to determine the best Discworld novel that exists in existence um, using our four gigantic planet-sized brains. Uh, mm-hmm. so for Reaper Man, um, would you say that it was better than Eric? We're not doing this. <laughs> We're not We're doing not, this. Uh, let's not doing okay. this. Uh, let's skip Reaper Man. Okay. So Reaper Man. Okay. Was Reaper Man Here's better the than Guards Guards? Yeah. Is it number one or not? I would put it number one. Guards Guards didn't make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> this one, this one is the most emotionally resonant book we've yeah. read so far. It's. It feels like it adds the final dash of something that wasn't really in Pratchett's writing in significant quantities before, which is like an earnest 
desperate sincerity um, mm-hmm. that I think is what, when people think of the complex gumbo of flavors that Discworld is, that's one of the most significant allures of it. That's, that is really the thing. I mean, this is the thing that we've been trying, we've been waiting to really show up for the entire podcast so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were definitely getting hints of it in Guards, Guards, and in, even in moving pictures. But this, the stuff that this evoked is the kind of stuff that we're going to be riding high for the next 20 books. Yeah. Give or take. You know, you, you know what I mean. But I again, I I was worried going into it that I would be too colored by nostalgia to really be able to judge it very well. But I I don't think I'm going to get any argument here that we're just going to put it straight at the top for now. Yeah. Something else is probably going to beat it eventually. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's the first it's the first out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, uh, June and I were actually speculating before the podcast started about like what what's going to knock this out of the top spot? And like, I think it'll eventually get knocked out of the top spot realistically yeah, I, and probably I, sooner rather than later. But like, we're, it's not going to be easy to beat this. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like a walk in the park. It's not going to be like previously where it was just like, well, we're kind of just rearranging deck chairs here as Terry sort of sharpens his skills a little bit. Okay. Let me, let me ask what I think is a more interesting question. Eventually there's going to be a tear break point up here. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Guards Guards and Reaper Man are going to land in the same tier the next time there's a break? No. No. I just it's it's on a different level, I think. Yeah. It, yeah, this, I, is, okay. this is gonna be up there with the best Discworld books ever. I, I'm I, glad I hate, I hate to like say this is actually this is my only criteria for judging a book, but you know, if this one goes in the tier tier, which is just a book <laughs> Discworld books that made me cry, then you know, it's not gonna be in the same zone as Guards Guards. There's the tear no, tier, I'm... the laugh tier, the grimace tier, and Eric. <laughs> uh, like by the by, the same token, like if you're tr- not whether which one of these is better, but if you are trying to get someone into the series, do you start them with this or do you start with them with one of the earlier books? You start them with this. Yeah, I think I... this is a good starting point. I think Guards Guards also works great as a starting point. Honestly, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, I think at that point it's going to boil down to who who are you preaching? Yeah. To? yeah. Like, if I think because someone you can, will vibe more with witches or defi- guards, yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah, there are definitely people who would respond better to witches or even to subversion of cop story. Yeah. If if I just had to just be like, hey, so just one book that's going to be a good Discworld book for basically anyone, as of now, this would be my one. Yes. It's just that a- fucking good. Eighteen-year-old me is feeling very vindicated right now. Eighteen-year-old <laughs> yeah. Bolina, good taste. Great taste, eighteen-year-old Belina. Honestly, the question I'm most excited for is: uh, uh, Will Small Gods still be up here? Because that was the other one that really hit me as a kid, and we're coming up on that soon. And yeah, I don't know I'm, how well that's aged. I'm really nervous about it. You gotta understand. I yeah. was so into Small Gods as a small yeah. Iris. I was just yeah. a little pupil. Small uh, Gods. Small Gods influenced my first graphic novel quite a bit, and now it's just like, oh god, here we I, go. Iris, here we go. Have yeah. Yeah, and anybody who's read Epiphany didn't go, huh? This is Iris definitely wrote read Small Gods around Iris, this. Point this is kind of like the thing in Small Gods, huh? Yep, that's because yeah. it is the thing with Small Gods. Iris, you didn't have like any like 
weird personal trauma relating to like Christianity specifically. Or what anything. the hell would <laughs> ever make you think that? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. But this book pot is calls kettle black. Yeah. This book is. Uh, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Anyways, this book is. This uh, I will argue that small gods will at least be in the same tier as we. We're gonna have we'll some see. big conversations that, about I, it. I'll, I'll put I'll put my twenty bucks on that line now. That's fair. I'll take That's your fair. twenty it bucks. Might be under, but it'll probably be in the same tier. Okay. Uh, but we can't call anything until we read the books, because who knows? So we're we unanimously can't... putting this at the top. I'd say yeah. numero uno, baby. Put it on the big board there. I should put in a sound effect that's like a little family feud ding right here or something. Good answer, good answer. This could get grab some clips from like the old game. Kill! Oh, before we before we finish, I wanted to ask, what was y'all's favorite joke from the book? Oh my god. Uh, uh Gorilla Warfare was definitely the one that got the biggest laugh out of me. Uh because I have because I am mentally still only about ten years old. Then you must be out of your mind, Arch Chancellor," said the senior wrangler. He lowered his voice. "Anyway, he's an undead. I don't think how I don't see how you can save undeads. It's sort of a contradiction in terms." "A dichotomy," said the bursar helpfully. "Oh no, I don't think surgery's involved." <laughs> <sighs> Mine was um, this is a great joke on its own, but also as a setup for later. Um. You didn't have to be a wizard to know that something was wrong, and Windle's senses were whining like a dynamo. Lupine left at a drip, leapt at a drifting sheet of paper and brought it to him. Uh, crudely written here in the text is, Amazing reductions! Windle shook his head sadly. Five exclamation marks. The sure sign of an insane mind. Yeah. <laughs> Always that is one of those jokes bit. that has stuck with we me for my entire see, life. We will see this joke return. Yeah, and it's so, so good when effect. it returns. My, my absolute, my favorite joke, the one that just had me going like, oh, that's so good. Uh, I don't know if I laughed the hardest, but I think I laughed the most consistently was the recurring gag of uh, Sergeant Colon guarding the bridge. And yes. then things happening on the bridge and him being like, I made the best decision to guard here. I'm a genius. Like, <laughs> just fucking uh, joke. Yeah. Yeah, even Sergeant. Show- Bridge is still here, huh? Yep. Showing up at the crossroads when they're trying to bury Wendell and going, oh, I knew it. All of my decisions have been correct up until now. <laughs> so good. Truly, I'm the paragon of modern policing. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good. Anyways, that was Reaper Man. Thank you all so much for talking about this delightful book with me, and thank you, listeners, for listening to it. Uh, we oh, have. Sorry, I did have. I did have oh. one more bonus joke I forgot about, which is um, at the beginning of the book when everything's coming alive, um, one of the alchemists complains that what his glassware exploded and he got shards, and it's like, ah, oh, talk about a sharp retort. But, God, and then, of course, yeah. they belabor the one. joke, and eventually, it was actually an Alembic, thank you. <laughs> and also, there's a bit in there about, uh, we get another reprise of the joke about a thawmometer, which measures magic. All right, sorry, yes. continue. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, oh, my God, I forgot to mention, holy shit. Oh, fuck. Before we Did go into about the wow little wow sauce? Yes, I remembered wow wow sauce. They actually <laughs> talk about what I think is a case of Terry... Uh, coining a term, and uh, Ridcully is an auto condimenter, which means that he will right. put condiments on 
everything regardless of the flavor of it. And yeah, he has before this special, even it. He has a special sauce called Wow Wow Sauce, which is like made up of all this bullshit and it explodes some stuff later. And like I feel a deep and personal kinship with Ridcully in this regard because I am also, unfortunately, an auto condimenter. I will put sauces on like everything. I have and good news for you. Uh, Nanny Dog's cookbook does have a recipe for Wow Wow sauce, though it does probably exclude the the charcoal, sulfur, and salt, Peter, which, as you might know, is how you it's make gunpowder. Gun That's fine. I will have to get a copy of that so I can try it. That's going to be another bonus episode where I make some of the shit from Nanny Og's cookbook. I I am saying that right now. I need to make that happen. <laughs> God, time to start up a very small blog. <laughs> But yeah, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we have uh, several social medias and websites and shit. You can find us online at anchor.fm slash discpod. Uh, we're also available on your better places where you get podcasts like Spotify, Apple, Google Play, and shit. Um, subscribe to us there. We love getting the numbies. We don't make any money off of this show, but I like seeing number go up, and I like seeing demographics of who listens to this show. It's always fun seeing those colorful charts and graphs. It makes my brain happy. Uh, and we also have a Twitter at, uh, at DiscPod, if you like Twitter. Uh, if you don't like Twitter and you prefer decentralized social media, we have a Mastodon account on uh, DiscPod at Queer.Party. Um, we also have a email account, uh, Disc at Hypnovire.us. Uh, where you can send us all sorts of fun messages about the books you might have read uh, recent, uh, in the Discworld series recently, or the episodes you might have heard recently, or uh, whatever. Your, your favorite skeletons. Send us your favorite skeletons. Send us your top ten fave skeletons, or send us your top ten least favorite skeletons. Yeah, I've never met a skeleton I didn't skeletons. like, but... Uh, I'm just checking real quick to see if we had any fan mail in comments. Oh, we did have a few comments! Um, uh, Pharaoh posts a day ago, I'm starting over listening to disc pods since I'm going to be drawing for essentially forever and I'm enjoying myself. My thoughts so far, I suspect the lingering taste in heterosexuality line might have been tied more into wizards being in theory celibate for reasons explained in sorcery, but it's been a long time since I bothered with the color of magic. To which Pumpkin Spice Computer replies, a lot of wizards experiment with heterosexuality in their early years. It's perfectly natural. <laughs> uh, Listen, everybody's got to get a phase out of the way early on. It's mm-hmm. fine. We all understand. Um, on the Twitter account, oh, we got a bunch of messages on the Twitter account. Oh, it's mostly just people retweeting. Well, that's nice. Thank you for retweeting. Uh, and the email isn't working right now, so I'll check that later. But yeah, you can send us messages and shit, and we'll read them, and it'll be fun, and we love engaging yeah. with you. I do want to read your letter out. on the air. I do want to point out from someone who I'm friends with, but who started reading through Discworld due to the podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, Quote uh, from a tweet they made. Reaver Man was a lot better than moving pictures. And Wendell Poons specifically is an incredibly compelling character in Reaper Man. But in both books, every single moment he was in, I visualized him like this. And yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I posted an image. Oh, oh no! Oh no! It's the Gumball I mean, Boy from regular show. Yeah, yeah. it's pops uh, from regular show. Oh, yeah, I, I, I could see it though. 
Just imagine him, also, but with eyes like Gimlet's. <laughs> I, I just want to point out that, that Taz, they spelled Wendell's last name with a Z. Oh, God. Um, we we rebooted this man for the hip new 90s demographic. He's extreme now. He knows what a skateboard is. The book's from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't revamped for the 90s. They didn't make him extreme. They didn't make him flavor blasted. He doesn't we- He doesn't like chips. This Wendell Poons appears as a grand prize on Legends of the Hidden Temple, uh, along with a huffy bike and those shoes that have the ratchet uh, laces on them. Those are uh, wild. Anyways, my name is Iris J. I do comic books. You can find my work at irisj.net. You can also find me online at irisjcomics on Twitter and at irisj.comics at mastodon.social on Mastodon. Um, as for my one non-Discworld thing I'm going to promote uh, this this episode, uh, I'd like to promote... Uh, Creator of Beastars, Paru Itagaki's new comic book series, Sanda, which is about a dystopian near future where uh, Christmas doesn't exist anymore, only there is a kid who is the descendant of Santa Claus who can turn into a huge buff old man Santa Claus whenever he puts on the color red. And he uses this uh, to battle the forces ruling this dystopian boarding school that he lives in. It is buck-fucking-wild, and I hope it gets officially localized soon, because it it really... It's 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 some of the comics that I've ever read. I love it. I love it. I love it! Uh, I love all of it. It's amazing. Sorry. Uh, I love a pitch there. Yeah, I, I love an anime The Santa Claus. It's, it's anime Santa Claus, but it's also The Hunger Games... And it works like Shazam, and the other main character is a girl who just wants to find her best friend girl who she's in love with, and she is absolutely unhinged. She will blow up the entire school if she has to, if it gets her closer to her girlfriend, and it is it is awesome. <laughs> Hell there yeah. is there is no ceiling on how wild this series seems to get, and there's only eight chapters up right now. I I'm like obsessed with it. It's great. I am uh, I am Juniper. Uh, find me on Twitter at Juniper Theory. Um, and the don't have anything uh, to plug except for the side episode, which if you're listening to this will come out soon, hopefully, or check if it's already out, maybe. But uh, aside from that, the non. Uh, disc world thing i'll plug is uh, the mom personal thing is inscription which i just played it's really fucking good it's a really good video game it's got cards in it it's I got heard a that little, was real good it's got a little mm. guy who does a little dance and it's fucking great and it almost made me cry i feel most games can be improved by the addition of a little guy who does a little dance the yeah, little guy who does the little, little dance in this game is so good you have no idea hell yeah just the <laughs> best fucking little guy anyways fblgld first person little guy little dance <laughs> uh you know how they have you can pet the you can pet the dog they should have you the little guy to little dance <laughs> I am still Belina. I still, as far as anyone else knows, I apparently just live in the show notes. I have not been up to nearly enough lately, and one of these days I'll change that. It's still nice I, to have your company here. I, no, I, look, I, I'm glad to be me too. I just sometimes feel very unaccomplished next to you people. Uh, 
Like we can't all have four podcasts, but Lena, that's fine. That's true. What would you? That's why. That's why we. That's why we plug things that aren't uh, our own projects. What are you gonna plug? Yeah. Go go listen to the fucking horse isekai podcast. <laughs> uh, excellent taste. Oh. All right. Uh, speaking of. I have been the internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing, programs, podcast posts, and everything else is fit to plug at princess.software, including uh, my hot new podcast. I mean, new. We've been doing it for a while now, but we were hit by a horse truck and got guided to Equestria. Oh, God. The uh, finest My Little Pony rewatch podcast I've ever been on. And you can find that either at princess.software at our hot new website, isekai.horse. I can't believe you got isekai.horse. That's incredible. <laughs> right? Fuck it was yes. just there. No I one just, else wanted it. That's so good. I also, just... thank you very much for continuing to soldier on with this podcast, despite the handicap of having hooves, which I can only imagine makes it very hard to turn pages. Oh, it, it does. Well, usually I use my mouth, but uh, uh, like it, it's either that or I, I would have to get isekai'd back into having fingers. <laughs> thank you for... E- thank you for... Uh, re-isekaiing or re-isekaiing yourself every month just to specifically read a Terry Pratchett book and do this podcast before de-isekaiing back into Equestria. No, all she has to do is to get out of Equestria, she just has to go find and hit a cart. Of course. I just want to say... <laughs> then I have to say. get in front of a horse truck again to get back there. I just want to say uh. this podcast is a terrible idea and I will never be on it. Uh, Grace, what would you like to uh, what would you like to plug as your uh, non uh, personal thing? Uh, let's say uh, the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney games. They're still good. I've been working my way through them again. Big fan Classics. of these gay lawyers. Hell yes, Evergreen, one of the greatest video games of yeah. all time. The lo- the lawyers are gay, folks. It's good. And I mean, what what is a courtroom interrogation if not two little guys doing a complicated little dance? Oh, this is the. I have complicated feelings about this, but I fully believe this is the only way Miles and Phoenix can like express their feelings. That's fair. It's the Jenny Holzer art. Uh, we invent elaborate rituals to give us permission to touch each other. Yeah, but in this case, it's the legal system. Like, I cannot express the noise I make every time that. Fucking repressed lawyer man avoids making eye contact. Says you have to leave. You've burdened me with unnecessary feelings. Oh, it's so gay! Wow. Uh, Anyways, don't watch the anime. It's bad. Game's good. Yes, movie I hear is good too. Yeah, the yeah the Takashi Miike film is excellent. As is the uh, as is the Terazuka. Musical the yes. the all female cast uh, musical. God, is yeah, that excellent. was awesome. Any luck finding the other two of those? I, I have fa- I have the other two, but they're not subtitled in English. Uh, <sighs> listeners, if you can find a version of the uh, those versions of the musical that are subtitled of Ace Attorney or any other uh, baffling property that is uh, feels very gay, please let us know. Normally yeah. I'd say this is a long shot, but I know what kind of listener base we have. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know if you have that. Or the skeletons thing. Um, this has been Discovers. Join us next month when we cover uh, the 12th book in the series, Witches Abroad, where we get to go on a little bit of a witchy road trip 
get hyped for that. I know I am. I love all the witches books, and I'm so excited to get to this one. Hell yeah. Looking forward yeah. to it. Truly it was a Reaper Man. Really makes you think. See you next week. Good night. Really makes you weep. Good night. What did anyone twink in this book? Thank <laughs> you.